and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Pop Jerome Hannah Rogers. How's it going, Hannah? <laughs> you can tell them what I did. You can tell them if you want. You, you can put it in the in credits if you want, such uh, that they yeah. are. Yeah. Oh, look, we're becoming a Marvel movie. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I saw a Marvel movie in theaters. Oh, Mar- Eternals? I think oh. it was Eternals. Oh, wow. Yeah, you've been... Oh, you're way behind. Yeah. Marvel movies don't have bloopers at the end. That's, that's like... They, they have the post credit. Well, some of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be like a post credit thing, but oh. also some, you know, like people stay at the end. I don't know. Are you old enough it's- to remember the wonderful films of Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, like Smokey and the Bandit and the Cannonball Run movies? I can't say that I have. I remember the teen comedies of the 90s and early okay. 2000s where they very- put the bloopers in the credits. Yes, very similar. Burt Reynolds was a huge fan of that in a lot of his like early 80s movies. We need to do an episode at some point. I do want to do an episode of Is This a Good Movie and have everybody watch the Cannonball Run. I'm, like, Have you seen any of the Cannonball Run? I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. I'm going to be are- completely honest and no, say no, no. perfect because there are there are three of them most people only know about two because the third one is so bad that like no one's seen it except for me there are three of them and you know how our little gimmick is called is this a bad movie i'm gonna spoil it for you the answer is yes cannonball run is a bad movie and i adore it with all my heart there's no, <laughs> like i've seen it a million times it is so amazing and i wonder if it holds up to someone who doesn't remember you know the weird celebrity culture of the 80s so you, you know how uh, i don't know like george clooney and brad pitt like they'll just make a movie with no plot they'll just be like hey we're gonna make a oceans 18 it's just you know me and my buddies hanging out and doing a movie like not a movie movie just a movie yeah burt reynolds used to do that with sammy davis jr and dean martin and frank sinatra and it's weird <laughs> anyway that's not what we're talking about at all that is not at all what we're talking about <laughs> we had it i was gonna say it's been so long since we spoke but uh, it's not <laughs> Because we talked yesterday as we record. But anyway, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the strikes going on in Hollywood, the Writers Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild. And we admittedly are not experts because neither of us are in the guilds or in Hollywood. So, so uh, I have been to Hollywood. <laughs> I have not. I've actually never been to California or further than Utah or Colorado. And but that's not important right now. So, yeah, we are not experts, although we like, you know, the podcast supports the strike. We support unions. And oh, I mean, I guess for people who listen to the show a lot, it would seem that this would be an episode that Monica should be on because Monica literally studies Hollywood stuff. She is a Hollywood costumer and her current job is that she is is, you know, doing archival work on unions. So she was supposed to be here. Monica, sadly, is still getting over about with COVID, so she can't get here. But, you know, we're hoping she's better. That's why you're not going to hear Monica's voice, even though it seems like, hey, this would be a perfect topic for Monica to talk about. That's why she's not here. So you're just stuck with me. And me. (laughs) You've done union stuff. And I am a very important actor who's been in a couple of movies that, you know, blink and you miss me. But I'm not in any guilt because I was an extra. But anyway, we're going to, we got a couple people who I think can speak to this a little bit. So first, I want to welcome back to the podcast our good friend Ryan Scott Thomas. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Mav. How you doing? Doing good. Good. So you have a little bit of expertise here, I would say. A little bit. A little bit. I, and I stress a little bit. So, and just, I want to say very clearly up front, I do not in any way, shape, or form speak for SAG or oh. other actors. This is just all my opinions. And uh, even if I sound very confident about something, I might be wrong. <laughs> 
well, I'll talk about why I think it's important to talk to people like you and our other guests in a moment. But like, but just to make it clear, you're not speaking for SAG. You are not a SAG representative. You are merely a SAG member. You are a member yes. of the union, correct? I am. I am one of those union members that is not making millions of dollars like so many people think. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I am what we're striking for, basically. So you are, yeah, you are a working actor, and you've been—I mean, you've been on the show talking about that a couple of times before. But you mm-hmm. are very much a specifically working actor. And when we were planning the show, it's like, okay, we need to figure out who we can talk to. And then literally, I was just like, I'm sure we know some people. And then I went on Facebook, and there were 18 posts of union stuff from Ryan in a row. And I was like, <laughs> want to do the show again? <laughs> <laughs> And I, like, I remember, and I remember texting Hannah. I was like, Ryan would be good, right? And Hannah's like, yeah, Ryan would be okay. Well, that's pretty much it. Was also it's interesting because I go, oh, yeah, Ryan's an actor as opposed to a top actor. That's not like a special thing. Because <laughs> the last couple of times you've been on, it's been like, yeah, we have Ryan who has expertise at playing cops in movies, but like technically you could play other things, I suppose. And I have. could, and I like to. <laughs> 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 but that's, thank you for coming back and you and when i asked you to do it like the next thing i was going to do is like you know start hitting up like friends who were writers and then you immediately asked can i bring my friend along who's in the wga and i was like yeah. yes that would make things simpler than me like going asking people so, so i guess for the first time i would like to introduce jamie nash hey jamie hey how's it going And you are similar to Ryan. You are also currently unemployed, I guess. You are also striking because you are a striking member of the WGA, which has been on strike for longer, even. Yeah. Yeah. I've just been sitting around watching like Cannonball Run movies and uh, (laughs) Burt Reynolds stuff. (laughs) Seriously, have you seen the Cannonball Run? Absolutely. They were huge. I'm, you know, I'm not young. So they came out. Probably saw them in the theater. I saw Smokey and the Bandit at a drive in. It was like one of the first movies I ever saw. Oh, uh, Smokey the Bandit is so great. The weird um, thing about Cannonball Run, oh, yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> the weird thing about Cannonball Run that I always think of with Bert is he was the guy who introduced us to Win, Lose, or Draw, which kind of eventually became Pictionary. Yeah. He and, yeah. He and his friends played it in their living room. So that's my yeah. Burt Reynolds act of the day. Oh, that's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and because the, so the Win, Loser, Draw TV show, wow, this is weird tangent, has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I think it's interesting. The Win, Loser, Draw TV show was posted by Burt Convy yes. and it was produced by Burt and Burt Productions. That's Burt Reynolds and Burt Convy spelled. Burt felt two different ways. It was Burt and Burt Productions, win, lose, or draw. And it was literally like the show was four celebrities, two on each couch, and one regular person and playing win, lose, or draw, playing Pictionary on a board. And it was the early days were very clearly a game that like Burt Reynolds and his friends played while drinking. Like it, <laughs> there were hardly rules. Absolutely. We're going to sit here and we're going to play kind of charades, I guess. And like they were making up as going, that was such a great show. And it was on in the middle of the afternoon with, you know, a very limited set of, of celebrities who were clearly just friends of Burt Reynolds. Right. And usually it was Burt and Lonnie who were almost always on the show. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, because they were married at the time. It's like, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it was like on the left team, you have Burt Reynolds and somebody and Dom DeLuise. And on the right team, you have Lonnie Anderson. And like, you know, it would be like, like, I don't know, one of the people from WKRP or something. It was literally like just people we call that day. A lot like doing a podcast. <laughs> oh, God, I'm glad somebody else remembers that. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, similar. I, well, actually, I didn't double check. I'm going to presume. Well, maybe I shouldn't presume. Are you a millionaire writer? 
No. In fact, <laughs> well, I have been to California. I actually am currently residing in Maryland, the hotbed of WGA writers. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have somewhere that you can actually, because like, again, technically you're on strike. Do you have somewhere that you can actually go and walk back and forth or do you just like hang out in your living room going i'm on strike hi everybody <laughs> how's that work if you're not in new york or hollywood like do you just like walk back and forth in your living room what do you do <laughs> yeah i go play pickleball most of the day is what i do <laughs> just to stay in shape <laughs> everybody's like are you retired what's going on with you because it's people older than myself but the uh, generally i get emails like every night from new york city to join those mm -hmm. picket lines they don't have any organized dc ones i thought they, that might start up when the actors started because i know the actors have picketed dc but as far as i can tell or at least you know maybe somebody will hear this and say of course we have dc ones but i'm not some email list York City is my closest. And I haven't been to one. I have not gone to one. It is a rough. I mean, can you drive six hours to stand in a line? Is Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, not, it's a rough ask. I get I, it. Yeah. You know? I couldn't. Maybe one day I could. But yeah, not on a regular basis. Well, you got a place to crash if you ever get up here, James. Yes, thank you. I probably would, too. What about you, Ryan? I mean, so you are not in the mecca of protesting because you're in New York right now. Correct. Right? Yes, I'm in New so, York. And so that which has been weird because I've been uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess, like the fact that sort of unfortunately or fortunately, I'm not sure how even how to view it. Certainly people are paying more attention now that SAG after is on strike than they were when it was just WGA, which sort of shows you how the general public feels about the contribution of writers. But uh, which understands is, it. Yeah, yeah. Pro probably a better way of putting it, which is like sort of kind of maybe part of the point, right? Like that, like like I think that one of the reasons we, the collective we, abuse labor in this country is because we can get away with it. You know, like if the companies can get away with taking people for granted, they will. Because why wouldn't you, right? Like, hey, more money for us. And I think that part of it, because I don't think people necessarily know. You know, like like I don't think people understand what writers do and i don't think people understand even what actors do i've got a thing that i want to talk about with that but before we get to that like what are you doing you're not on an la picket line obviously you're are, are you doing new york ones yeah absolutely i'm trying to get out at least once a week and they're running Monday through Friday. They mm -hmm. canceled. I was going to go actually last Thursday and Friday, but they canceled them because of the heat. So they care about us, which is nice. Yeah, it is. It is, <laughs> <laughs> it is, um, it is yeah. And and the studios in like the Universal in like cut California trees. cut down the trees illegally. That were shading. Sons and <laughs> yeah. I love they tried to. They're like, no, we just trim those trees all the time. And then the city was like, those aren't your trees. What are you talking about? <laughs> They did find them. I found out last night that they, or a couple nights ago, that they released news that the city did fine Universal for cutting the trees down. So justice has been served. They were fined two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> That'll show them. That'll show them. <laughs> Universal two hundred fifty bucks. And, and it sort of makes me go like, if I am a you know money grubbing, crush the working man executive, I go two hundred and fifty bucks. So let me see if I can do the math. I can do about ten of these for twenty five hundred. Yeah. Yeah. How much to take them down? to the stump yeah let's kill some people you know 2500 bucks is not bad to, to like essentially threaten people's lives so. yeah fortunately in new york we have buildings so. <laughs> never, no one's ever said that before yeah, if you're on the right side of the street it's okay for a couple hours 
But it has been very hot. And the one, the most recent one I went to was right in Times Square on Broadway in front of Paramount. And that is just way out. Mm. And that was so hot. And that mm-hmm. those Times Square sewer smells were definitely <laughs> wafting that day. I guess we should point out just for posterity and for anybody who listens to this episode, not the week it dropped. Like if you're listening two years into the future and you know how the America is under an unprecedented heat wave pretty much across the entire country right now as these strikes are going on. And I, so I want to like back up the tiniest bit and I feel like it's been in the news so much that people might have a basic idea of why the guilds are on strike. But, you know, why are the guilds on strike? You know, what, what like happened to, you know, reach this point where not only like are the writers on strike, but the actors are on strike and the directors. Narrowly avoided. Yeah. But, you know, like people like I've seen who are in that guild, like question that decision. And people who were in SAG and WGA very much questioned the decision of the DGA not to go in. <laughs> I was like, ah, really? It would be real nice to have a trifecta right now. No, I don't know that it, it's weird because I don't know that it matters. I mean, it matters here in the DGA like because you kind of want fair treatment, but it's not like they're making movies anywhere right now. Or, you know, I guess True. we'll talk a little bit about the exemptions later. But yeah, like they're like, good luck trying to make a movie with just the director. Yeah, yeah, you know, but historically, like there are things going on that's like really yeah. feel like yeah. brought people to a point, a breaking point. Uh, I can, I mean, I can speak to the WGA, the basics of it. And again, this mm-hmm. this is a idiot's guide to the WGA strike. I'm not like a scholar or anything. I'm not. I'm a WGA member, but I'm not like in the decision making. A WGA member, not a millionaire. Uh, not Very a millionaire. We should point that not out. Not a millionaire. Yeah. Okay. So there, there's really with the WGA. There's really three things. Things that they're striking for. One is big to me. I, most of my money, mostly I've written features. I don't work in writers' rooms. I write pilots and stuff as well. But for the most part, I'm not in rooms. So this for me, it's kind of how much we get paid. And in a large part, residuals. Residuals is the one for me that really stands out. And you've probably seen on Twitter, like people sharing their checks and stuff like that. Yes. And I'll give you a practical version of mine. I've written a bunch of movies of the week. Movies of the week. If they show, and I write kids, I've written some kids movies. I write horror movies too, but I've written mm-hmm. kids movies. Like if my movie appears on Nickelodeon, they will send me a $600 check. And it's a Christmas movie, you know? It might play 10, 20 times and you do the math. I'd get that every Christmas. That'd be my Christmas gift. I'd get that money. And for somebody that makes, and this is the other big thing. They think, you know, writers are rich and things like that. But on average, I think the number is 70,000 bucks is the average number that they make. And it's an average. So if we just want to cut the, because I keep seeing people point this out, $70,000. And I see people go, well, that's a really good living. Yes, except that it's a $70,000 average. And what you have to understand, it's not a median, it's an average. So that $70,000 includes the 10 writers that you've heard of who are yes. multi-millionaires. Like, mm-hmm. So like literally Shonda Rhimes is affecting that $70,000 average and offsetting all the people who are making $5,000 a year. Great. Great. So it, that matters important. And I keep seeing like no one ever points that out. People are just like, oh, well, an average of $70,000. I could survive on that. You could. But if you're on the $5,000 side and you're trying to live in L.A., eh, yeah. good luck. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so great clarification. You know, I'm married. I have a kid. You know, $70,000. It's good. But and 
but mm-hmm. you don't even really get benefits all the time because in the WGA, mm-hmm. you have to make $50,000 that year. So, you know, they have health insurance, health insurance have, and mm-hmm. your, you know, pension at, well, pension's always there when you get paid. And that doesn't include these residuals I'm talking about. So anyway, back to the residual part for a Nickelodeon movie, I might get 600 bucks every time it shows. Okay. And I, and if you're making $70,000, 600 times 10, is part of your money. It's part of like my side hustles and side gigs, and it all kind of accumulates to the money I, I earn. But what happened like just recently, like this year was the first year, we decided not to share that movie on Nickelodeon. They were just like, nope, we're not doing it anymore after six years. And it's just going to be on Hulu or whatever, three systems. So my check for this mm-hmm. year was about 250 bucks. That's what I, mm-hmm. oh, it's dropped that much. And that was something that happened in the 2007 strike. The 2007 strike, the studio said, you know, this internet isn't a thing. It'll never be a thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. what that's going to be like. And we fought to get that little bit of money that now pays me 250. It pays other people slightly more, but a lot less than mm-hmm. the old model used to pay. So that's the first step. I'll be quicker with the other steps. The second step is just how long like writer's rooms are employed or how long writer's rooms are built. So this is you should explain what a writer's room is. So it's not going to be quite as quick because I know what a writer's room is, but I don't think everybody does. And that's what I was saying before. I think people think that Shonda Rhimes writes 14 shows by herself. Yeah, yeah. That's not the case. Shonda Rhimes does not write 14 shows. Some people like Mike White and stuff have written recently. Like I'm trying to think of other shows, like True True Detective, I think was written that way. Yeah. Game mm-hmm. of Thrones was written by like four people mm-hmm. or something. Taylor Sheridan infamously has kind of said he writes all the stuff you can talk about. But most shows are written by rooms of people. They brainstorm all the episodes together, the entire season arc. And then basically they hand out each episode to somebody in the room. So everybody, not everybody, but most people get an episode to actually go mm-hmm. based on an outline that the room brainstormed together. Then the showrunner who runs the room, it's kind of the boss, it's kind of a producer slash writer. will take those in, they'll get notes, studio notes, all that stuff. So TV is written by people that have nine to five jobs that, that literally go in and well, in LA, it's not quite nine to five. It's like 11 to eight or something like that. <laughs> you know, so people go in every day. It's a Monday, Wednesday, Friday job. It's not like like me, a spec screenwriter who just sits at home in their underwear and plays pickleball, not in their underwear. They actually have to dress <laughs> up and take showers and do all that stuff and go to work. It's a it's like a re- kind of job that you're expected to be at all day. And uh, re- in recent times, when streaming came about, there's been this, there's been an expansion of the number of shows but there's been a contraction in the jobs of number of episodes episodes right oh yeah it used to be 22 episodes you know it was a standard order and the writers would stay on the whole season they'd write the show they'd be through when they shot it they'd be there maybe even when they edit all the episodes they'd be there too and they'd also go to set when streaming came along a lot of the streamers tried to divorce the writers from the production process so there could be, you know, they might only write up until the time it was shot. And then there were these things called like mini rooms that we were talking about earlier that started. And what a mini room essentially is, instead of hiring 10 writers to write a show, they would hire like three or four writers to write a hypothetical show that they might may or may not greenlight later on. And they do it in a condensed time frame and they pay the writers less. They pay them less money because they were like, oh, well, this is just theoretical. It's a yeah. Even though the work is the same to these people, they have to get notes, they have to do all this stuff. 
but they would say, well, we're trying to do it a little cheaper to see, but you know, you can work here for eight weeks or something like that and do it. So there are a lot of rooms that writers would get and they'd get in the WGA and things like that, or they actually a lot of these rooms are higher level writers. So it kind of bounced the new writers out because you only had four writers or something like that eight weeks. And then they'd be done, which was very different. Then they'd be on the job market again, looking for work. And that show may or may not even get greenlit. So the WGA, one of the things they're trying to put, what is it, requirements on these kind of gigs, like that all writers rooms, let's say, have to have six people. If, if there's six episodes or more, it has to be six writer. And then if, as they add, there was like a staggering number, like, I don't know, up to 10, mm-hmm. then you'd have to add one more or something like that. So they wanted minimal number mm-hmm. of writers. They want a minimal number of days. And there were some other things that they're fighting for, but essentially they're fighting because some people would only work those eight weeks and they'd be out of work for like another year until they found another job. It was just, it was becoming really difficult to become a full-time professional writer with the day job. And that also assumes like, if you're lucky, you're allowed to look for another job. If you're on a, if you're a contracted writer to where you, you do that eight weeks. And then if the show is on option, you just aren't allowed to like, Oh, I wrote episodes of, you know, the whatever Chronicles. And, you know, now while it's on hiatus or now they're deciding if they want to make a season two, I can't look for another job because if they make a season two, I've got to be ready to go back on. And if, they don't then i'm out of work and you don't you might not know for six months so it's just six months of i mean it sounds great because it's six months of hey you know you don't have to work and that sounds really awesome till you realize that you're also not getting paid during that time. And you're just kind of sitting around not doing anything absolutely absolutely you have to sit around and wait basically and in addition mm-hmm. to that while all these episodes expanded while there was an expansion of content around the time of covid there was a contraction of content with these new rules made mm-hmm. in place. So it was like, it was still the bad model, but now there are even less jobs out there. So it made it even harder, around, you know, around 2020 to even get a job. And then last but not least, the third part is the AI portion. And, there, you know, it, the funny thing at the beginning of the strike, AI portion was not front and center. And I do think it kind of gets pushed ahead from headlines and things like that. I think it's an important part of it, but it wasn't the front and center thing. It was these other things. And that was kind of the third place. And now I'm not sure it might be higher up because I think AI just kind of boomed since, the, you know, since even the strike is mm-hmm. getting better and more prevalent. But essentially, writers are trying to say, you know, I can't rewrite anything. It can't generate source material. It can't be a writer. That's the protection writers want. They just want to protect you. They don't mm-hmm. want to all of a sudden have all this battles. And then the studios go and just start using AI for everything. So they're looking for mm-hmm. those protections as well. They're the three things. Which, yeah, which they absolutely will. So you brought it out that there was a writer strike in 2007. And when the last strike happened, one of the issues was what they called the time new media. And it yes. was very much a, hey, you know, new media doesn't really make any money. And to be fair, it didn't. Yeah. When the last writer strike happened, Netflix was still their primary business model was still sending DVDs through the mail. They were streaming stuff but like the dvds in the mail was where it was really at the number one 
streamer of new content, like even like stuff that Netflix was making on the site, like when they were streaming content, it was old episodes of Friends and The Office and stuff. So like, you know, yay. And that's where the residuals argument comes in. But it wasn't their primary thing. So like the idea of doing a House of Cards or Orange is the New Black or, you know, in the Disney Plus era, you know, your WandaVision and your Secret Invasion shows or Star Trek, whatever, like all the stuff that's made for streaming now, those weren't things. New content on streaming was YouTube, was just people making, you know, little essentially what now would go on TikTok videos. It like it was very base. And there was an argument of, well, this is going to be the future. And the studio's view at the time, the AMPTP's view at the time was, well, we don't know if it's going to be the future or not. It's new media. There's no way of knowing. So they essentially compromised on a, frankly, a really shitty deal deal. for residuals because the real money was in syndication. And then there is no syndication market anymore. Like the idea of, so just thinking about it, like since all the shows that are produced for streamers are produced by the streamers, the idea that you're one day going to be seeing random episodes of, I don't know, Castle Rot or The Mandalorian just streaming to your local UHF channel. That's not likely, but that's the market that the last deal was based on. That's right. That's right. So obviously that needs to be fixed. And it's really easy to say, sure, we'll fix it. But like nobody's going to be using AI to write a show. You just said AI can't write a show. AI can't write a show. Well, sure. And that's great until AI can write a show, you know, in 2024 right. <laughs> or 2025 when AI gets good enough that it can write a show. Like that would be, I mean, I don't, who knows, right? But like, but yeah. they will absolutely do that. And like they're fighting to not just be fucked over. Cause that's what, cause if, you know, if they, if studios didn't want the ability to fuck them over, they would just give in on the deal. <laughs> like, I mean, I think it's pretty telling that this week there has been a lot of news stories and ability AI can be. I'm putting news in quotes, although you can't mm-hmm. hear that. And it can be used for more than just, you know, plagiarizing people's words, basically, and like churning out something that is inaccurate or I'm being overly harsh. But AI, like ChatGPT, has been like found to plagiarize both like in the traditional and just like stealing all the words or just like patchwork regurgitating and so on and so forth. So, and we all know that uh, you should not expect ChatGPT to know, quote unquote, know anything. It's just right. a large language model. So mm-hmm. AI can do other things ability than just like turn out garbage. Mm-hmm. But the studios are hiring for these six-figure jobs about AI. Like Netflix had some job postings. Disney had some job postings. Mm-hmm. And so even if AI is the future because the future is not prescribed the studios and everyone else in the world wants ai to be the future and it seems that part of that is they are looking to undercut labor and not pay people really mm-hmm. with like I, I think the screen actors guild guilds like protest against ai is particularly an example of this I, well i just think it important to note we keep saying well ai doesn't do this ai doesn't we've done shows on ai before well, we've done a, a, a fuck pop on it when we say a learning language model doesn't work the way people think it does that okay that's all well and good except that you don't want to sign a contract that's okay 
So uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, speaking of someone who actually has money, I, he was on CNN the other night. He's trying to explain from his v- point of view why we needed to have, you know, AI protection for actors. And his point was, well, you know, if they train them on my face, I want to get paid. And I understand his point. But that's all well and good until you make a real AI that's not trained on the face, on his face, right? Like, sure, but we could literally, you know, if we make something that doesn't do that, that also puts people out of work. And so like be smart about the future contract because one day you will be able to write an article with an AI or a newspaper or eventually a screenplay. And do you want that? I don't know. (laughs) You know, but like, but it's a real conversation and it's not a, it's not a, don't worry about it. We'll never do that. Which is where the TTP is. Which they clearly, like they clearly are like already doing that because some people on Twitter have, and I guess we should let Brian talk about the Screen Actors Guild, but people on Twitter have like said, I am a background actor and they scanned me and didn't tell me exactly why. And uh, one of the points, and Ryan, please correct me if I'm missing some nuance. The Screen Actors Guild is particularly concerned about AI because basically the studios are like, all right, well, we want you to sign a thing where you can get scanned and we'll pay you one time a nominal amount of money and then we can just use your image and likeness whenever we feel like it without consent or without compensation. Which I was just kidding. Yeah, in perpetuity as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which and that nominal rate is a half day. Yeah. Rate is (laughs) what they're trying to do. To stand yeah. there. Yeah. Which is like, it's just so egregious. Like, just imagine what they could use someone for without their consent. Like, mm-hmm. just, well, I, I mean, I mean, there, there's other, pro- there's other like problems with like what the CEOs have rejected from the Screen Actors Guild, Ryan. I don't know if you want to highlight any of them in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll start with the AI. Well, first of all, this is going to echo a lot of what Jamie said. The first thing is also a general wage increase. One of the problems, and I'm going to try not to do all like the industry terms here, just so it, it makes more sense to a lot of people. One of the problems is the names that they we get called for different roles. Like the we'll say somebody that has like two lines that plays a waiter in a scene as opposed to someone who's the murderer of the week on Law and Order as opposed to someone who's on every episode. They all get paid different rates. Mm-hmm. They all have a different sort of name in the contract is what kind of performer you are, like a day player or a series regular, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't fully understand all the nuance of this, but what I was, I've read through SAG is that the AMPTP has low-key started changing a lot of those names so that like the person that has the two lines as the waiter and the person that is the murderer for the week gets paid the same each day. So you could be working in four, you could be filming four scenes in one day as the murderer of the week and get paid the exact same amount as the guy that came in and did one scene as the waiter and was gone for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Whereas there used to be a much more structured pay scale for that and just a general wage increase. But we'll skip all over that because that stuff's not interesting. No, it um, is. I think it is interesting because, I mean, it matters in that it fucks over both sides, right? Like, yeah. like, like yeah. sure, if I mean... What you don't want is you don't want somebody to, okay, as I, I said, I've been in, I've been in two big Hollywood movies. I was in Adventureland and I was in Zack and Mary make a porno. You cannot find me. I can, because I know exactly <laughs> where I am, right? And I'm in, I'm on screen for quite a long time, but I'm just an extra. I'm not a SAG member. I, I'm an extra in the first time you see the second female lead in both of those movies. I'm standing directly <laughs> behind her and I stand there. You've got a niche. She, 
Yeah, yeah, I've got a niche. It's like my whole gimmick. And like, so when Katie Morgan first appears on screen in Zach and Mary Make a Porno, I'm standing literally right behind her. Just so they meet her at a strip club and I'm a strip club patron. And then in the movie Adventureland, same thing. When the character Lisa P first appears on screen, I'm a patron at the amusement park, just standing right behind her. (laughs) And it's like my whole thing in Hollywood is I stand behind the second female lead when she's introduced in her first scene. And I didn't know offense, but nobody's looking at you in that strip club scene that's right like you like i just know that i'm there and if i'm wearing a blue sweater if you watch you'll see me standing right behind her in this kevin smith movie and i you know i worked the full day on that and made like i don't know a hundred something odd dollars right like it was a few years ago and sure it was great i did it because it's not my job i'm just doing that but like it, it you know it was like i had a spare day and you know that was fine but if you're a working actor and you want to be compensated Compensated better for doing, you know, like it's a lot easier to do one line or two lines than it is to do, you know, 40 scenes across the uh, across two days. And I, I think that like to say that I acted in that movie, I didn't. I walked back and forth and was very good at, you know, looking like I was looking at strippers who weren't really who weren't really there. Right. Like, <laughs> like, like that was my job was to stare off into space like there were people, you know, it's like so I get why there are people who are in the business of being a guest star, a, a, you know, a murderer of the week who want to be paid more than the person whose job it is to say, would you like fries with that? You know, absolutely. And 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 also, yeah, and also the person who's, yeah, the person who's trying to actually break in, who is doing, you know, the, like, I mean, I joked about at the beginning, you've had the role of that cop over there in (laughs) countless films and TV shows. And so much so that I said, I think I talked about this on Facebook. I I mentioned you in a class I was teaching where we were talking about the defund the police movement. And I mentioned the episode of the podcast that you were on. And you said, and they said, oh, your friend's a, a, is he a real cop or an actor? And I was like, well, he's a retired cop who's now an actor. And they're like, oh, has he been in something that we've seen? And I was like, he's been in everything that you've seen where there's a cop. And they're like, what's he look like? And I was like, he looks like a cop. And (laughs) And my students were like, that's mean. And I'm like, no, I'm. I can, yeah, I, I get Ryan's, it. Had a, Ryan's had a career based on the fact that he looked like that cop over there. So, <laughs> so like, but I think that, you know, you want that job and you want that job to continue and not be taken over by a, you know, computer program. Oh, absolutely. And, and I made a joke about nobody looking at you in that scene, but the fact is those are really important jobs. They flesh out the world. They make it look real. I mean, look at, I'm not supposed to talk about any TV shows. When you see a show, (laughs) there's one that was on recently that had some hospital scenes where there's like no extras in these hospitals. And you're like, and you're like, this does it even if you're not thinking about it from an artistic or a filmmaking sense, you're like, this doesn't look right. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't look right because there's not enough humanity here. And that is an important job. And a lot of people, you know, whatever, don't understand that. Mm-hmm. And so is the one or two line roles and all the way up. They're all part of the thing that people love to watch. And this going back to the AI stuff with the uh, trying to scan the background actors, what really upsets me about that is 
so many of the people that are doing background are doing it because they're trying to get into the business. Yes. And that's their way in. I mean, I was just, I mean, I knew somebody. So the way I got that gig was on it. I did it Ventureland first and a friend of mine was trying to break in. So she was auditioning for stuff and she's like, Hey, you want to come with me and uh, audition for this movie? I'm like, I'm not an actor. She's like, it's a background thing. So sure. And Adventureland needed to fill a whole fucking amusement park full of people. So it was an easy, gig for me to get and literally my job was to stand there in line because of exactly the thing that you're talking about it would have looked really weird if they were at, at an amusement park and there were no people like like there's the main cast but like so jesse eisenberg's in that movie Kristen Stewart's in that movie and it would would have looked weird if like the two of them they play amusement park employees and if they're having a conversation and there's nobody in line that's weird so they, it gets us back into along with ai that uncanny valley where you're just looking at it and you like the casual viewer might not know exactly what's wrong, mm-hmm. but you're looking at it and you're just like, this doesn't feel right. This feels weird. Right. And they direct us, by the way. So they tell mm-hmm. us in order, like there's a, there is a, you know, second or third unit director whose job it is to wrangle background extras and they will tell you, they'll give you things to do. So for instance, Sarah and I had to have an argument in line when we were wondering, now, are we on, are we audio? Are we on camera? No, it doesn't matter. You know, we're so far off in the distance. It doesn't matter. They just want it. Like they'll walk through and they'll say, okay, the two of you are arguing. The two of you are, you know, flirting with each other. The two of you are doing this. Like they're just trying to make it look like this world is lived in and not like, like it's important because if everybody was just standing there calmly, that's not how amusement park works. So like that job matters and it needs to, and it matters. And it's kind of why you want a real person for this, the randomness of it rather than just, you know, totally. And what's so troubling with this stuff is like they're preying on these background actors by giving them these contracts. These, hey, just stand here and get scanned and then we'll figure out what we're doing with you. Oh, no, we don't need you. We'll pay you for half the day. Mm-hmm. And what background actors have gone on record to say is that when they've gotten there and been, you know, proposed these deals, if they refuse, they're sent home with no pay. No pay. Right, right. So like it's either you do this thing where we're going to have you forever and be able to do whatever we want with you and your likeness because they force these contracts on the people. And man, this business, if I loved, if I thought I could be happy doing anything else, this (laughs) business is not for anyone that doesn't really love it because it's so hard to get into. And people are so, I'll say desperate and eager. I don't want to paint everybody with the desperation brush, but it's so hard to get into that when you're getting your first opportunities on a movie or even a little indie movie or whatever, although they're not the ones doing this, so a big movie. And they give you this contract, you're going to sign it. Yeah. These people are going to sign it because they feel like, I don't want to say no, then they might never use me again. Then I might not get another opportunity. And it's, man, it's just so unfortunate. And also, that, that 300 bucks might mean the world to you. If you are a yeah. struggling, starving actor living in LA, 300 bucks might be the difference between keeping your heat on that day or not, yeah. electricity or whatever. And not only that, <laughs> it's also, it's a great for new actors. You get on the set, you learn the terms, you learn where to stand, you learn the etiquette, mm-hmm. which is so important etiquette can keep you from getting hired again Mm -hmm. you network 
you meet other people. I wouldn't have ever been able to pursue this if I hadn't, if it weren't for networking and just meeting people that are willing to give you some advice here and there. One of the big points I've heard come up recently is people like Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Brad Pitt all started doing background. Mm-hmm. Like they, they wouldn't have had their careers if it weren't for doing background work and they want to wipe that out. I so will, to speak. in the time that I did it, so when I did Dak and Mary, I will say, so Dak and Mary is a Kevin Smith movie. Met him for two seconds. Seth Rogen had lunch with us. Oh, nice. Why? Because Seth Rogen's a nice dude and was just like, they feed you. So there's a, they yeah. break for lunch for like half an hour or whatever it was. And Seth Rogen just kind of wanders in. It's like, can I sit with you guys? And he just sat there and bullshitted with a bunch of people and basically was asking them, so are you looking to do this full time? You know, what have you done? And he really was just trying to be a nice dude because presumably 10, 15, 20 years before, at some point, he was a guy on the set of a movie mm-hmm. just kind of standing there being ignored by, you know, the real actors. And he doesn't want to be that guy. So yeah. that's so he's trying to he's trying to do that for, you know, I'm sure he didn't make any extra money to go sit with the riffraff rather than sitting with Kevin Smith and, you know, Elizabeth Banks and whatever. He came and sat with us because he wanted to. Absolutely. That's awesome. I love hearing that. And I again, I feel like if it were for so many people that helped me and gave me advice, I would would have never i'd still be sitting in baltimore probably still be a cop Mm -hmm. so i am very big into anybody that comes to me for advice or coaching or any of that i'm so happy to do that stuff right Um, do you mind let me ask one question that came to mind from the background and you might not have an answer to this one as a computer programmer i'm an ex-computer programmer when that whole thing about scanning the background people came up well my thought was if we presuppose that they can press a button and put those faces on people we also presuppose they just invent a face with AI and walk in the background. And if that's the case, why would they even worry about scanning people's faces? And is there any protection that anybody's fighting for to keep them just from doing basically what Peter Jackson did in Lord of the Rings and his massive back? Yeah, or Titanic. Titanic has, I mean, Titanic has a shit ton of digital people falling off the boat because James Cameron, rightly so for that movie, was not going to pay a thousand people to almost drive. My understanding is the what they're trying to what SAG is trying to get is that there won't be any AI performers in quotes used to take roles that would have been given to gotcha. people. So it's kind of vague, but I don't know how else they could do it any better. And it's hard. That's a hard thing, right? Because like, okay, if you look, let's not use AI, right? If you go back and watch the first Star Wars movie, the first Star Wars movie has real stormtroopers and it has guys who are just painted on cardboard, you know, and they're not, you know, like you've got a lot of, you know, when they need to have stuff, they just paint people as part of the set because it was cheaper than hiring, you know, a whole army on the budget that they made the first Star Wars on. And that's not new. It's just like for the same reason you you, you extend a set, you know, you don't necessarily fly to wherever. And, you know, if you're making a weird Marvel movie or something where they're fighting an endless horde of Chitari, you got some of them and everybody else is just like a CGI monster because it's good enough. So yeah. I don't know how to win that fight because I'm not the SAG lawyers. And so, <laughs> you know, like, but like, so Bob Iger <laughs> made the comment that like, Uncle oh, well, they're, yeah, they're making unreasonable demands. And, <sighs> and I was like, and he, 
No, they're asking for you to actually negotiate because there is a difference. Like I, you're certainly not going to have a world where like, and SAG's going to lose if they want this. And they know that like SAG is not going to win a world where we outlaw the concept of digital former. Like that, like that's just not going to happen. They're not going to make blockbuster movies where they hire a thousand people to be dead bodies on the Titanic. That's just not, it's not a, it's not a reasonable ask. I get why that's not going to happen. But on the other hand, there is no reason to, I mean, Ryan, you got your start being that cop standing back there and that's a, and you've parlayed that into a career that is now, you know, like, like you want somebody to be able to start being the guy in the background walking through in a police uniform. Even as a principal performer i want extras on in sets i want to feel like i'm in that world it it looks better it feels better it gives you people Mm -hmm. to react to nobody wants to look at tennis balls if we don't have to or just blank space and they'll fill it in later it looks Mm -hmm. terrible and there's a lot of i mean we've talked about this on the show too there's a lot of (laughs) you see actors in films that were finished by cgi and they'll go oh so that's what that monster looks like i don't know i was (laughs) you know like i don't i didn't know what i was fighting when i filmed the scene i was just like reacting to they said something scary's over there and so i go ah you know and that and it, it does look it, it looks and feels artificial yeah and the eye lines i don't care what they do the eye lines never look right mm-hmm. it never looks like they're looking at somebody like whatever they're supposed to be talking to in the eye it just doesn't it's anyway i don't know how to fix that part to hit back on on what jamie said was talking about as well with residuals that's another big part of this i think honestly i think that to me is even is more important than the ai stuff like jamie was saying and the ai stuff i think is very important especially when it comes to the background i think the bigger stars when it comes to ai when it comes to de-aging and peter cushing and stuff like that as long as the performer or their estate consents to it and gets compensated whatever you know but when it comes to residuals and that the new media deal and the streamers and stuff man we are not sag we're not like entitled to get like like the residuals from network tv you have to get your residuals from that that's in the contracts that exists when it comes to the streaming platforms we don't have that it's you could never see a residual for some you could be in whatever the biggest streaming show is right now. Again, I'm trying not to mention anything. We should, uh, but, should point out, just he's not just doing this for anybody who's listening. Yes. This was tricky. We want to make sure that neither Ryan nor Jamie violate their deals. And yeah. right now, even if Ryan's not in a show, actors are not supposed to be actively promoting any show that was produced during yeah the previous SAG deal. So basically Ryan is not supposed to mention shows or movies that were produced in the last 15 years. So that's why he's doing that. The reason why Mav and I can talk about specific things is because we are not members of SAG or the WGA. And And we we will talk about, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a little bit too. We're not influencers being paid to mention things. Like we we did an episode on Barbie and Oppenheimer last week and we weren't paid and if we were critics then journalists can still do their jobs and what yeah. So, a, yeah, Ryan is very particularly not violating his deal by not, or I guess his non-deal because you're on strike. So should be, actually, the contract <laughs> is expired. So my is, solidarity with the yes, union. Yes, he is. Yeah. So that is hence the not saying, but yes, if in a large streaming show, you're saying just generically yeah. a large streaming show. So you could be on, and I was on something, I was on a couple episodes of something last year that I've never gotten a residual check for mm-hmm. in over a year now. With networks, the the union 
and managers and everything, you see the ratings, you see how much things are getting. And that's what your residuals are based on is how much things are being watched, how successful they are. Mm -hmm. These streaming platforms do not give their numbers at all. And it's I've tried to sort of equate it to so people can understand. It's like if you work a job where they lie when they need to. Absolutely. Because they yeah. yeah, they legally don't have to say it so yeah. they can just say whatever they want. So it's Netflix, like if you, it, Netflix and it's a weird game, too. It's like sometimes they again, I, I can mention names. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> they lie in positive ways. Sometimes they lie in totally. negative ways. If you go back and we talked, uh, we talked about this. And I remember when we did the episode on the chair and it was like during the week the chair was out like they were Netflix was promoting it. This is the most popular streaming show ever made. And they only talked about it for that week. And then they never mentioned it again. And like, I mean, I know a ton of people who watch the chair because I am a professional academic and there were a lot of other professional academics who watched it going, it's not like that at all. And, you know, we did a whole episode of it. So I know Hannah watched it, but like outside of us, how many of you listeners ever went and watched the chair? Yeah. Cause it wasn't in the, cause it went from being number one on their streaming platform to not mentioned at all in a week. And I'm just going to explain, just going to say, that's not how numbers usually work. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> it's not a that's not a that's not a thing but also like we play our box office game our box office game is based on publicly available box office numbers because they have to be like they are listed for in order to work within the terms of the previous WGA and SAG and SAG like we know how many people paid to see Barbie last week we don't know how many people watched oh Red Notice Red Notice <laughs> which Netflix says is the most popular movie that's ever happened no one's ever not been watching and you know like there's also been this horrifying trend where streaming platforms have just straight up deleted content yeah. so they yeah. don't have to yeah. pay we talked about that too like, yeah. and, it's like oh that movie <laughs> What movie? <laughs> well, and another never heard of it. Another big problem with that is when even big TV shows that I've hit sitcoms, you let your imagination run wild. When they've been in syndication for years, those people, even though the little people on those shows, like the big stars that make millions and millions of dollars, that's one thing. But the little side players and stuff, that could be sustaining them for years and years. When those shows go to streaming only, they don't have to get residuals on them. I believe that a major example of someone who got residuals for being kind of like a background main character was the actor who played Gunther in Friends. Yes. Like, he, you know, and that that experience is just, you know, like Fran Drescher talked about how like the nanny back in the day, like everyone was making money off that project. But, you know, if the nanny were a streaming show now, it would look totally different. I've seen people like posts about like shows that like seem pretty big on streaming and how much like they're making or like mm -hmm. did make while they were like, you know, filming it or writing for it. And it's honestly like, you know, I like to think that I'm, I'm more aware of the realities of mm -hmm. what it's like be a writer actor because we, we talk to people who we know but i was shocked by some of those numbers actually because mm -hmm. they were smaller than graduate school stipends which yeah is, you know which is how, I, <laughs> how i related you know relate to my world and and so yeah like re, like residuals are and also like i've seen this argument from people who are like well why they, like the studios make all the risks and like eh, actors and really. writers like did their thing they were contracted <laughs> out like i don't see why like people should get keep, like keep getting paid and i'm like but the value like 
the value comes well, from the worker. I can give you a I can give you a, a comparison thing because this will show. So the actor Jeffrey Owens, you know who he is? Mm-hmm. Didn't think so. <laughs> um, oh, I did. Oh, you do? Okay. So yeah, oh, okay. absolutely. Okay, so yes, Jeffrey I Owens watching him. Yes, Jeffrey Owens played Elton on the Cosby show. And he is so he was the boyfriend and later husband of the oldest daughter on the Cosby show. And he famously, after Bill Cosby went down for being a horrible person, and they basically yanked the Cosby show off of syndication in every market because of, you know, all the horrible atrocities that Bill Cosby committed. Jeffrey Owens started showing up as a meme of people sort of making fun of him because he was just working at a local grocery store. It's like, oh, Trader Look, Joe's. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, it's Elton from the Cosby show. Oh, that's ridiculous and sad. And then he finally did some interviews and he was just like, I'm, I've got, he's like, I'm, I've got a family. I've got a child to feed. You have to understand I'm a working actor. He's like, I've done other things, but like I've, I had one big break. It was the Cosby show. And for every other role that I've ever had, he's like the majority of my life for the last 30 something years has. And he's like, it's not, he goes, and I'm not rich. It's not like I was wealthy. It's just that having been on the Cosby show, you know, feeds my kid like just the the residuals are, you know, they pay my mortgage. They feed my kid and like we need that money. And he goes and when they always call him Mr. Cosby. But when Bill Cosby got in, they still call him that like everybody who's on the show when Bill Cosby got in trouble and he was like and he should have. He wasn't even defending Bill Cosby. He was just like he was like when Bill Cosby got in trouble, they pulled that show off the air. And I understand why they pulled that show off the air but that means that my livelihood went away because if the Cosby show is not airing anywhere I'm not getting checks now and so so he ended up taking and he was just like yeah so I'll take a job in a grocery store because I gotta eat um, was, so- when all that happened that was my first thought I was like I get it canceling Cosby like I don't want to look at him either but right all those supporting actors man I felt so bad actors for them and writers and people who yeah. people who worked on this show like this is what they've been surviving on since the 80s and one could I mean I like I understand how people might be like well you shouldn't be able to do that because like that was a job that he did years and years ago and why is it and it's like fine but it but he was and it suddenly went away and the reason I point this out is because Jeffrey Owens was probably I mean, I've never seen the call sheet, but I bet you he's like 10th bill. Like he was he is by no means in no season of the Cosby show. Is he even in the top five most important characters? He is he is he is a regular on the show, but he is the spouse of the fourth most important child. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not doing I mean, that's just how the show was written. Right. Totally. She wasn't even in the first season. Yeah. Right. She was an afterthought. Yeah. So he is she is the spouse. And then like when they bring other like when Raven Simone joins the show as a child actress, she bumps Jeffrey Owens down the call sheet. Right. Like she's more important. Like he's just not important on the show he is but it was his career for many years. Yeah. I was just going to say, but and to the point of like, you know, people shouldn't be able to keep making money off of something they did in the eighties or whatever. Acting is such, and also to the point of like the studios taking all the risk, trying to be an actor is mm-hmm. such a risky job. Mm-hmm. Like you, not only the fact that like you only get a job every now and then, but like all the time that you have to put in to, for, I mean, you've got to keep taking classes to stay relevant. You've got to keep meeting people. You've got to keep doing that. You've got to keep auditioning. It's you do so much work 
for so much time that you never get paid for. And then when COVID hit and everything went to, this is actually one of the things that's on the SAG list and everything went to these self tapes where you're taping from home and all of a sudden they expect every actor to have a freaking professional camera and lighting yeah. and sound set up which they're homes. And it's like, so now we're spending hundreds of dollars on lights and backgrounds and all this other stuff just so we can maybe be considered to get a job every now and then. Yeah. And a job who, which was, as we said, was might be speaking two lines as yeah. a waiter. So not only that, hundreds of dollars a year just to belong to websites that you can mm -hmm. submit through. Mm -hmm. That's like standard part of the business. Mm -hmm. But even if you have an agent, you still belong to these websites. And for all of that, the production companies that made the Cosby show certainly made lots of money over the years. So why shouldn't Jeffrey Owens, right? Like, that's the yeah, Jamie, did you have yeah, to Writing is very similar in all that free work. Like 80% of my job mm -hmm. is trying to get a job. 20% you know, mm -hmm. is actually being paid to write something. If I'm mm -hmm. a lot of my ratings on spec, so I'm trying, you know, that's a lot of risk. I'm basically taking months of my life full time to write something for free and hope to sell it. And on top of that, like mm -hmm. if, you're, if you get up for a gig, if you go for an open writing assignment, which I do, you know, I'll go up for about six or seven open writing. So somebody will say, you know, we're making Slinky the movie or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'll have to prepare about a month. You know, I have to come up with the whole story, memorize it, come up with a pitch, actually do the pitch and sometimes repeat the pitch. It usually takes like three to four weeks of that process. And I do it multiple times throughout right. the year for free. 20 people go in for that 20. showing. And so you've got at best a one in nine, I mean, minimum, right? So you've got at best a one in 19 shot. <laughs> exactly. Um, my my yeah. average is about one, one in 12 of those. Like when I back them okay. up and I think I'm batting a pretty good percentage in one in 12. So, yeah. so, so less than 10%. So that's a, of jobs paying off at all. Right. Right. So. Right. I mean, I mean, again, you know, again, as like a viewer, I, I am enjoying the work of artists like it's the director, it's the costumers, it's the writers, it's the actors who are creating the content that is meaningful to me. Right. Like it's not the studio head. So why are the studios making all the money and it's not going to the people I actually like to fund them to do more things? I actually right. like Neil Gaiman has been asked about Good Omens because Good Omens season two premiered on Amazon as we were recording the show this week. Mm -hmm. and. People are like, so like, should I pirate this? Like, should I like stream it on Amazon? Like, how do like, and Neil even was like, you know, you should stream it. You should go see things to support people and right. show like the studios, like people care about this stuff. Yeah. But, should, I do want to get to that in a second. I want to just want to pivot a little bit because I want to come back to the, you know, how to absorb content during the strike thing in a moment. Because I, the reason I mentioned Jeffrey Owens, though, and his uh, his supporting himself for years on the job, I want to compare him to Kimiko Glenn, who has been very, she, her TikTok is fabulous. <laughs> so if you don't know who she is, she she's probably most famous for Orange is the New Black. She was on that television show and she she plays Brooke. So she's on 45 episodes of Orange is the New Black. I mentioned that because super popular show on Netflix compared to Jeffrey Owens, because I checked the ahead of time 44 episodes of the cosby show so they're pretty much in in sync with like how important they were to that show and she's you know they had subplots she's she's a, certainly an important member of the cast of that show and she's on you know for several seasons she is a but by no means is she the number one number two number three or even number five actress on the call sheet she's just a player on the show an important you know side character and does roughly the same amount of episodes and she'll show 
her residual checks from Netflix, like on her TikTok. And it's like seven dollars. <laughs> and it's just and she's just like, oh, look, I'm rich. And then um, and then she'll show like like all 45 episodes of what was the most popular show on the air, according to them at the time, independent Nielsen ratings. And we did an episode of our show on Nielsen ratings. If you go check it, we're pretty sure even though Netflix doesn't release the shows, we're pretty sure Orange is the New Black was getting numbers in line with Game of Thrones at the time because they were both on at the same time. And she's making like eight bucks. Yeah. And she's like, oh, I guess I'm not rich. And you can just tell from the cultural zeitgeist how big some of those shows are that they don't want to announce their numbers. Right, right. Because it's not like it's that's weird, right? Like we, you know, they've been, you know, people have been talking about famously the writers who will be nominated for Emmys and mm-hmm. Oscars and can't afford to go to the ceremony because they don't have the money to rent a cup. Like yeah. it's a lot. Like it's not clear to people, I think, you know, how not only how expensive it is to live in the ridiculously expensive town that is LA or even the only mostly ridiculous town that is New York, right? Like the, like New York is an unreasonable town to live in and LA is worse as far as like how much it costs to live these places. Mm -hmm. And you add that to the fact that like it is still a job and it's a job producing something that makes billions and billions of dollars. Like it's also like from probably for writers as well, but for actors, it's a job that like you can't have a, if you're pursuing this sincerely and, you know, wholeheartedly, you can't have a regular nine to five job. You have to, you can, you're really kind of stuck with jobs that offer mm-hmm. flexibility because you can't be, you can't keep quitting a job because you got a commercial or you're going to be working for a week on this show or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're in this weird little window where, yeah, you can work, but it's a lot of gig work and it's just, you know, part time mm-hmm. things here and there because you're making that sacrifice to be there when the opportunity comes up. That's why I stopped doing extra work. I was asked for a third one. I, I was asked, I, you know, once the casting agency had my name and picture, they were they were like, hey, you look like a guy who could work at a gym. And this would have been a, be- a bigger role. I would have been in Warrior. And yeah, I, and I would have I was not going to be important. I was going to be a trainer in the background. And they're like, can you do this? And it's like, how long would I need to be there? Like two weeks. I'm like, no, yeah. I don't have I don't yeah. have two weeks of vacation to take off my job at on literally three days notice. They called me yeah. on like a Thursday. Thursday. Can you be here Monday for the next two weeks? That is how Danny Trejo got started, though. Mm -hmm. I I guess I have a question for both you, Jamie and Ryan. Like, it seems like from what I've heard of, like a person who has a degree in communication that I forget about sometimes, which was like (laughs) media studies at my school, and just you know following like pop culture. It it seems to me like, and you've you've hit on this some with like the new media and the 2007 story. It seems like the field just is constantly like rapidly changing. Like what used to be maybe a solid job isn't anymore. Like my, I remember specifically in like 2009 being in a lecture about like, you know, commercial work is actually really solid work for actors. And yet I've seen, you know, on Twitter, like actors saying, you know, I used to do commercial work. It was really solid. And now this is like really unstable. Like it's not what it was. Like, have you seen like like some shifts and changes that like in your you know respective fields about like how, you know, is it more difficult to get work or are things like more unstable than they were? Or is that just an impression I have from the outside? It's a really hard time to say right now because COVID just changed yeah. everything so drastically. Commercial, I've never been, I did some commercials when I was 
shows still down in Maryland. I haven't really done them up here in New York, like on the big stage, so to speak. But I have heard people saying that. And I know there was an issue and I didn't really follow this a while ago. So I wish I could give you a better answer. But I know there was an issue with a lot of national commercials starting to go non-union and SAG my understanding is put an end to that because then they were, you know, they don't have to follow any of the union rules like residuals and stuff like that, which people do get for commercials, which is amazing. And some of those like those commercial personalities like the AT&T girl who's she's so good and the and like flow and things like that, like they're going to make a good living for a while off of those commercials. And that's awesome. I'm so happy for them. But it then, you know, some national brands started to try to go non-union with their commercials so that they don't have to pay them as much and keep paying them. So, yes. Yeah, I think screenwriting, it's ever since the last strike in 2007, or it seems like the studios have been trying to save money on writers since then. So a lot of development has gone away, a lot of multi-step deals. So usually we'd get hired to write you, know, you write the first draft and in your contract, it would have second draft, third draft. So the contract would be, you know, maybe triple what the contracts are now. Nowadays, a lot of them are just one step deals and a lot of them are a guild minimum. And they, a lot of producers will almost try to make you write for free kind of in development. Then they'll try to sell, even though that's not really allowed through the WGA. But they have, they have their ways like to try to help you pitch or if you're kind of a newer writer, it, they don't really get involved in an official way. They're like they give you notes and say you can come back to us and instead of just paying you you know and then have you, you know, make a living at it and in regards to like covid and stuff the writers had like three things happen back to back the strike being the most recent covid being one but they also mm -hmm. packaging thing that i won't even get into but we basically had to fire all our agents for like a year and a half and that happened right before covid it was kind of like a strike, at least for somebody like me that lives in Maryland. Suddenly I didn't have an agent anymore. So all of my sales pitches and stuff had to go directly to producers and studios that I personally knew. It was, you know, that mm. was a, it was similar to a strike and it kind of set things up in a weird kind of way, even though it didn't have work stoppages or we didn't have to pick it, it still affected how you got work and how much work you actually brought in. So like, it would be safe to say that if only because of the timing of the like strike in, in being so close to COVID and all these other events, it's not, I, I realize that this might be obvious, but I'd like to just have them record. It's like not a great time. It's not convenient. Like it's deeply inconvenient for the writers and actors to go on strike. Plus, you know, everyone else who is affected mm -hmm. by these industries. I, I would definitely agree with that. <laughs> Which is why Bob Iger said you shouldn't have done it. You're selfish you're, you, because you're going on strike and it's an inconvenient time to go on strike, which it's is also when someone with a, with a private jet calls you selfish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> from a billionaire convention, yeah. the interview was done at a convention with billionaires. I, it was like, yeah. oh. I think it shows just how important the strike is, though, that even during these yes. kind of dark, mm -hmm. difficult times when a lot of us were just barely scraping for work anyway. We were willing to go on strike. I, th I think that's right. Something. Yeah, it definitely says something. And I think like friend Drescher's speech really like if people weren't following what was going on, they suddenly like you. Then my mother was texting me um, saying, "Yeah, I'm behind the writers." And the, like my, my mother does not care about them in the way I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm behind the writers and the actors. Like they need to get paid. Like she's right. This is like a yeah. an, a labor like a labor like issue. Period. Like it's an act of solidarity. And also, yeah. 
I think we can all agree that Bob Iger we put in a room and not allowed to talk. <laughs> like it's you know also like the studios keep trying to present and I feel like I can say this with no repercussions. The studios keep presenting themselves as almost like reasonable, like, oh, like these, you know, people are striking and hurting our industries and look, yeah. they're hurting the theaters. Which they're, they are. I mean kinda, but also yeah, hurting them more. Who like refuses to go to the bargaining table? Right. It's the I studios know. who yes. refuse to go to the bargaining table. So actually mm-hmm. they're trying to do really bad PR. It's like when they kept calling the deal historic and Fran Drescher was like, what does that even mean? Well, like, I mean, it, it means that it was happening at a time. I mean, that's what history yeah. is. This is. Like, you know, the historic thing that I did yesterday, which was in history. I do want to talk a little bit about just labor practices in general. Hannah, this is something we've hit this on other labor episodes. We've got a we've got several that we've done. And I because when you're talking about a strike and I think people need to understand strikes are nuclear option. And yeah. we talked about this on, I remember when we talked about the concept of general strike where I was like, I get really annoyed when people who are upper middle class and better are like, Hey, you know, we're going to call these things. And it's like, you can't just call for a general strike without really understanding what it is. It's like, I know it makes you feel good to say that on, you know, Twitter or Facebook or something, but understand that when SAG and WGA went on strike, that was after the breakdown of talks that went on for months and months with union representatives and lawyers and the AMPTP. Like, this was not a decision that was taken lightly. And uh, I mean, as much as it kind of sucks that the DGA didn't go with them, I kind of understand why the DGA didn't go with them because the DGA kind of got what they wanted. Like not everything, but it worked out better for them. You know, and I, <laughs> oh, DGA is Directors Guild of America for a, we've used that acronym a couple of times, but I don't know if we ever explained it. Directors, the directors didn't strike with the actors and the writers and also the PGA, which confuses people because people tend to refer to the AMPTP as the producers but the pga is the producers guild of america not the same thing the so sag also not the professional golfers Right. SAG-AFTRA and WGA are on strike against, when they say the producers, what they mean are the production companies. They're on strike against the concept of Warner Brothers, the concept of Disney, the concept of Netflix, the concept of you know, whatever. They are not on strike against, I don't know, J.J. Abrams? Abrams, Kevin Feige, Shonda Rhimes, many of whom are in the WGA as well. It becomes very confusing because you end up in weird situations like we talked about this briefly on last week's show i think when tom cruise tried to get involved in the sag negotiations and he's like hey as a show of good faith maybe you should be able to promote movies that you've already (laughs) shot because he was you know he is technically a producer on mission impossible and, not transparent at yeah, all. Yeah, and he was. And I, no, I mean, but I get it, right? Because it's yeah. not like he's starving, but also he would like to make money on this movie that he like. We talked about why didn't he want to move? Why didn't he just move out of the way of Oppenheimer and Barbie? Well, because he knew a strike was coming, and he was only going to be able to do press for like mm-hmm. a week. And like, like I get why he made those decisions, but it puts you in weird positions, and it puts people in weird or, positions. Well, I'm not like trying to people like. like Justin Simeon, who's like the director of the Haunted Mansion, yes. of being a scab crossing the picket line when he showed up to the premiere. He's the director of that film and likely was contractually obligated. obligated. To yes. And he, he, you know, supported the writers and the actors in interviews and Christopher Nolan, you know, 
still talked at the premiere of Oppenheimer after the actors left and expressed support. Because he has to. And it's a weird position. I want people to understand this because this one came up at the very beginning of the writer's strike. Mayim Bialik famously walked off the set of, of Jeopardy. She's like, well, I'm not in the WGA, but I cannot in good conscience as a SAG after member be here. So she left. And that forced Ken Jennings and Mayim Bialik split posting duties on Jeopardy. So Ken just finished the rest of the season by himself. And he took a lot of sort of crap in the press of, well, he's a scab. And I'm like, no, he's not technically. He's what he is. Ken Jennings is his technical job is producer on Jeopardy. He is a producer of the show. He is not a producer from an ANTP member. He's not a member of that. He probably is in the producers guild. I don't know, but he is not in SAG and he is not in WGA. So Maya Bialik is in SAG. So she's got protections that Ken Jennings doesn't quite have. So like he like like literally he's contractually obligated to be there. It's not just the and now fair that Ken Jennings afford to. I don't know his finances. I know he won million dollars on the game show once. So like I know like I know he's not poor, but Mm -hmm. like you're still asking someone to essentially give up his livelihood. And more importantly, you're asking him to risk the livelihood of people that I don't think people think about. So I want to return back to the 2007 strike and much like this time, the first thing to go dark when the 2007 writer strike happened were all of the late night talk shows. Late night talk shows went dark immediately. Like none of the hosts were willing to cross the picket line. And the first one to come back was Letterman and Craig Ferguson because David Letterman's worldwide pants basically went to the WGA and said, what do you want? We'll give it to you. And CBS said, don't do this. And Dave said, no, the writers deserve to be paid. So just, and he didn't negotiate. He said, I'll give you whatever you want. And he wrote his own deal with the WGA. So his writers got to go back to work and Dave Letterman came back on the air. And because kind of happening now. Right. And because he was producing The Late Show, that came back on the air as well. And then soon after that, like a week or two later, Carson Daly's show on on NBC came back on the air. And if you can find the footage of it, he's damn near crying because he clearly doesn't want to be there. He feels bad, but he's not a WGA member. He has no protection. And he basically tells the story on the air. He was like, look, the network came to me and said... If I don't come back to work, the show is canceled and all these people who are not writers are fired. They can't fire the writers, but I've got a bunch of camera people who work for me and, you know, craft services people. And he ba- and they basically said, it's up to you. You can work the show without writers or not. And he basically said that on the air. And then he does the show. And it's not funny because Carson <laughs> Daly is not a comedian. <laughs> it's, it is a really awkward hour of television you're making me really want to search that out and watch that because i love awkward situations it is it is just a guy who does not want to be there doing a show that's not funny he has nothing prepared for him i mean he's a decent he's good at asking questions someone wrote that's his job Mm -hmm. and no and he's just like all right i guess i'll i guess i'll interview you about uh, about this movie and and i don't (laughs) and it's and then when once he was back then it snowballed right they forced well leno always said they technically didn't force me but they made it clear that they were going to start letting people go. So Leno came back writing the monologues himself because even though he was technically a WGA member, like, and, and I remember the WGA had problems with Leno because they're like, well, you're writing. I'm not a Jay Leno fan, but I understand. He's like, I'm not going to stand on television and look dumb and I can't have all my people get fired. So he was in an awkward position. Strikes are hard and they're, they're hard on the rest of the industry as well. All the camera people, the costume people, 
like it's hard on everybody, which is why they're doing it because they have no other leverage over the anti-PTP. So that's why you ultimately form a strike. But understand when people are crossing picket lines, maybe some of them like Jay Leno probably could have afforded to get fired. But frankly, Carson Daly probably couldn't have. And certainly all of his people couldn't have. And you hit on a couple of really important points. One that I don't think a lot of people understand is that the AMPTP is not all of Hollywood. It's a select group of studios and they're the ones that we're striking against. That's why, like I said, how this is happening now, SAG is issuing these interim waivers to some independent projects. And there's a lot of confusion about it. And uh, yeah, and a lot of, I don't know, bad blood. I think some people are very upset about it. Others support it. I'm... I'm kind of torn because on one side, I do want to see like the union unity and everybody stand together and really stick it to them. On the other side, I want to see our people working. And I mm-hmm. love the fact that like these studios like A24 are saying, hey, what do you want? We'll give it all to you. Just let us yeah. work because that's the no whole point of the strike. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's and the I, whole point. Yeah. And I will say mm-hmm. that Viola Davis, as we are recording today, but mm-hmm. I guess, you know, like a week ago, like her yeah. film was Greta <laughs> Waver and she said, I don't want it. I don't think it's appropriate. We're going to stand in solidarity with the union. And mm-hmm. you I know, have so much respect for that. And yeah. like, there, there are people who have pointed it's a hard out decision. I get both ways. Is what yeah. I'm saying. It's a hard yeah. decision. Yeah. It's not easy. Yeah, and, and there are people who have pointed out that they understand that, like, they're that the you know the waivers are like because these productions are giving the actors what they want. But it's possible that these indie films could get sold to streamers and give them content, and so the strike could go on it's longer. Likely. For instance, it's so, absolutely going to happen. It's absolutely yeah, going to happen. That was my concern. What I had heard is that the deals that they're signing with these interim agreements include the streaming that the streaming would have to if they go to a streaming service it has to honor what sag is asking for right now which would Mm -hmm. be you show us the numbers that's and you give residuals on it so if that is the case not enforced yeah but they'll all they will i mean i don't know but like i'm not a lawyer i the studios would be stupid to not try to fuck them on that deal and it's naive (laughs) to think that it's naive to think that they're not going to try now whether they'll get away with it or not who knows but like absolutely yeah Studios who said anonymously in a quote, "We're mm-hmm. waiting the writers out until they start losing their homes. losing their homes, yeah. <laughs> losing their homes, yeah. and then we're going to, you know, and that is just so Vile. evil and disrespectful, yeah, like." How do you, I will not ask either of you to answer this unless you want to, but how do you even go back to working with these people when you know that they want to keep you in poverty? Like, like the work, I'll say it again, workers create value for the company, mm-hmm. no matter what the industry yeah. is. The way that I would answer it is hopefully smugly after we get the stuff we're asking for. I'll answer it not for, and I don't know if Jamie wants to answer it. I'll answer it not from this, but like as someone who, I mean, I'm not in those unions, but I'm in a union for teaching. And frankly, there are people intentionally fighting to keep my salary low right now. And yeah, there's a union fighting to get my salary raised and other benefits. And that would be great. But like when universities that are worth gajillions of dollars are like, yeah, but can we pay these people with PhDs less money to, you know, teach? 
the thing that we're making a gajillion dollars for. That, like it is, it's a weird thing, but like, how do you go back? Well, it's because I kind of like my job I mean, and like, yeah, I can't, I, like, I don't have the capacity to run a university on my own. Yeah. I mean, you know? I say this, but, you know, I, I talked before on the show about, I sat in the labor board hearings over right. my grad student immunization and heard things that still to this day haunt mm. me and hurt and like hurt my colleagues. And by the way, graduate students are workers. That's not what this is about, but you know, all, workers are valuable like and Mm -hmm. like this you know Fran Drescher said like this is not just a fight for actors or writers this is a fight for like all labor and like it's true because all labor is connected and like these Mm -hmm. issues are popping up in different ways across this country just to limit it but so so like like you know supporting the writers and actors is fundamentally Mm -hmm. important because like how we're treating laborers in this country and how we're treating the value that people create and how we're not we but some people are idolizing CEOs like like Bob Iger has this weird fan club like I think yeah. he lost his <laughs> members in the past year for various reasons but like and Elon Musk like come on guys like like <laughs> but you know this is my you know yeah. hot take about you know hey like and all, and and what writers and actors are asking for compared to like the budgets of studios running is like mm-hmm. in like the smallest of percentage points like people have done the math on this their lifestyles would change not at all yeah well and I don't know if Jamie's seen this the WGA ask the total contract ask I believe is if I remember correctly, four hundred million dollars is something like that. Yeah, it's. It, it, I remember seeing total comparisons. Like was less than like a portion of two CEOs' salaries combined, or something like that. It was so small. Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. Well, I mean, and it's. I mean, it's a lot of money. four hundred million dollars is a lot of money. I get it. Four hundred million dollars is a lot of money. It's also what the Flash lost. Just right. saying. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, like it's how much one studio is in the hole. It's also probably going to be about what Indiana Jones is going to come short. You know, it's like Hollywood had a bad year this year. I get it. But like when you're gambling on movies, you can negotiate at least a little bit. If, you know, the you know, if you're going to make a movie and you're going to lose $400 million, then OK, <laughs> you know, like maybe you could do better and just pay certain people. And I get it. It's a complicated thing. I think it's I think it's interesting because it's becoming like the strike is big enough that it is going to it already is it's already just a part of the pop culture zeitgeist and it's going to become more and more of a pop culture zeitgeist thing even though people are going to get bored with it we're also going to very soon run out of content to watch like like hannah and i talked about this last week they're starting to push movies they're starting to push movies a lot hannah and all likely disney channel show on abc now yeah Yeah. hannah you're probably going to win the box office game because i think we're going to run out of movies that can beat you and I don't want to do that. Um, but like, and, and what, it, yeah. So, but you know, like people to clarify things a little bit, since we are talking about people are going to run out of content. A lot of people support the strike, but they might not know how to support the writers and actors yes. if they're mm-hmm. not in the guilds, and they also have questions about, you know, can I like watch things? Why are entertainment journalists still covering stuff? Why are Hannah and Mav talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer? Mm-hmm. When you know, like, yes, and you know, I actually had someone say to me, like, my friend told me that going to see Barbie isn't crossing the picket line, but Reiner review of it is, and I was like, not exactly, not really, <laughs> but like. 
there there are rules for like the writers guild and actors yes. guild. like so like you all can't promote that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but like are other things like rules that you all have to follow besides that I, I can't speak for jamie but i know like actors we're not supposed to do pretty much any, really interviews but, <laughs> but i'm here because i'm not promoting anything we can do that kind of stuff you can't they're not supposed to be going to conventions anything really anything promotional even facebook posts or instagram my, posts my understanding was it is and i went and read the sag faq and i also watched fran dresser trying to q a answer like i'll use fran because she's famous enough to where it might matter fran dresser is not supposed to go and do a signing at I'll say Comic-Con because it just happened. San Diego mm-hmm. Comic-Con of meet the nanny's Fran Drescher. She's not supposed to do that, but yeah. you can go and say, hey, meet famous actress Fran Drescher. Yeah, like, but she shouldn't be opinion. like signing pictures of the nanny. Either. Of the nanny. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's a, it is a very weird nebulous, but I get why it's so it's I get why people are confused because people don't know what to do. So, yeah. for instance, in Pittsburgh, one of our local Comic-Cons, we have like three times a year is called Steel City Con. And it's I call it a comic comic con, but it's a pop culture convention. And there are quite frequently our artist alley is a mixture of comic book people and people who starred in TV shows between, you know, the 70s, if they're still alive. And actually, we're getting up to the point where people from the 2010s are there, but it's not quite. It's because it, usually it's like, hey, you know, meet the remaining cast of, of Happy Days. But also, like, we'll have one or two kids from Stranger Things. We won't have Millie Bobby Brown. She's too big. But we, we might have. Galen is that his name I think his name yeah like yeah, we might have yeah we'll have like a kid from Stranger Things and a professional wrestler and you know Virgil. somebody who was on Happy Days Virgil yeah Virgil's <laughs> I've met Virgil many times <laughs> well from my wrestling career I know Virgil yeah, yeah. but uh, but yeah so we'll have what well, like a mixture of celebrities but it's being weird because like I know on the next one being advertised right now is Danica McKellar mm. not the Wonder Years Danica McKellar you know <laughs> the only thing she's famous for I mean Laugh she's done a bunch of other movies. <laughs> she's done a ton of stuff. She's done a she's in like in Hallmark movies right now, right? So she's done a ton of movies, but they're not saying meet Danica McKellar of the Wonder Years. They're saying come meet Danica McKellar, you know, yeah. the actress and mathematician, because yeah. it's and it's a really weird spot that what do you do with, right? Like, and I don't envy anybody trying to do the convention circuit. Like it's almost easier for you guys to come on a show like this. And also because you're not specifically known for being the guy for from Wonder Years, you know, or something, mm-hmm. you know, or Stranger Things, it's easier to talk around what you can't talk about. Like Jamie just did the same thing. I wrote some stuff. Mm-hmm. We can just not say, we can just not say the stuff. It's harder to do that when, you know, hi, I'm TV's whoever, you know. You know like, another point is it's not just us. Anybody yeah. that might want to be in SAG at some point, if they do any of the things that we're not supposed to do, that can get them yes. never admitted to the union. Right. So like, so, is it similar for the writers? promotionally here's the weird thing about the promotion stuff that really didn't come up until the actors showed up it was a weird i remember reading an article that said like and i looked at the wga strike rules and it didn't even really mention promotion because i don't think anybody writers Mm -hmm. as much yeah nobody comes people don't care as much you don't most writers don't show up at comic book conventions so it was i was trying to google it as we talk you must refuse promoting a project at a struck company's request. However, it is not a violation to talk about your projects on your own accord on your own social media. So essentially 
as long as they're forcing you to do it, you can talk about it. And I, I've heard like Chris yeah. McQuarrie did a ton of like podcasts and stuff for Mission Impossible during the strike, and he was mm-hmm. like, "I'm here as a director. I can't talk about the screenplay, you know." But like, yeah, mm-hmm. but you know, it's kind of the same. You know, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. I actually saw on Twitter someone from I think The Witcher, like or Instagram, uh, or a post, yep. and people were like. But aren't you on strike? Why are you responding to a post about the show you worked on? Because I live and- on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I live on planet Earth. Yeah. And I, I think it just fell into like that gray area that maybe people who aren't super into the weeds of well, this know. I think the, I mean, I think probably just speaking of, there's only so many Writers Guild members who are actually famous, famous, right? Like you, you know, if you're a nerd, you might know them, but I will, someone who I think is famous is Kevin Smith. And he's talked about it a bunch. And he's like, it's weird because it's not like he's a well-known enough name. He's a member of both SAG and WGA and the Directors Guild. So he's affected. And he also owns a theater. So he is a member of the North American Theater Organization, which is actually NATO. And yes, they actually call it that. So like he does movie hostings of like he part of his livelihood is he owns this theater in Jersey and he'll be like, we're going to show Jersey Girl, a movie that I wrote and directed. (laughs) And I guess I'll talk about it. (laughs) But he's like, but it's weird because he's showing it as now it's weird because I don't think he is promoting a film that for all intents and purposes is an indie film. It's just that he's arguably the biggest indie film writer in the world. I guess, I don't know, does Tarantino still count as an indie director? Like Smith's in a weird spot, but there aren't that many famous writers. And I think it's easier to sort of get by being a writer than you are. Like, I I know the one that people kept getting mad about, and this is such a misunderstanding of what writers and actors keep doing. And if you notice, there's no legit trades reporting this. There was a report that came out that Ryan Reynolds might not legally be allowed to ad lib mm-hmm. on the set of Deadpool. And I'm like, that's because it because it would be violation of the WGA rules and therefore gets the law. And I'm like, well, it's wouldn't make it against the law. They would only be mad at him. But also ad living as an actor is not the same as writing a screenplay. Anyone who's ever written a screenplay will tell you that <laughs> like <laughs> like it's not it just isn't the same. And I understand so when the WGA went on strike before SAG was on strike, there were some frankly out of context, but it was it, it was a poor way of raising it but jenna ortega said in an interview that she felt like she had to rewrite lines from wednesday because they said you know they had her saying things that she found offensive and a bunch of writers got offended by that because like well you know if we don't write the lines you have nothing to punch up jenna you know and it's like and it was a stupid thing for her to say but also her point was i don't want to be sexualized i don't want to be only like i understand the point that she was making a legit point that she phrased poorly because she's an actress and not a writer and that's sort of the point she is not violating wga rules by you know like she's not performing as a writer when she changes a line on wednesday like Mm -hmm. and even though ryan reynolds might have written 
Deadpool, he's not performing as a writer when he's like, I'm feeling this thing and I'm riffing with Hugh Jackman. And it's a weird thing. It's a nebulous line. And I get that it's not as clear, but also you're not talking about laws. You're talking about contracts. And I don't think the WGA is going to sue Ryan Reynolds over Deadpool. It's in nobody's best interest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like it's a weird thing. So I don't think people quite understand that because I don't think people understand how movies work. Movies are hard and magical and a lot of work, as you guys have both been pointing out. So in short, like there are rules around guild members, but not around people outside the guild or who, don't necessarily, or who are not hoping to join the guilds. And, mm-hmm. you know, entertainment journalists and so on are allowed to keep doing their jobs and people want them to do their jobs because... You know, Which we count as weirdly enough. Food. And, <laughs> but, you know, people also have been like, I am angry at Netflix. I will cancel my account or I, I'm not going to the movies or don't want to cover content that will currently benefit the studios. But the guilds haven't asked for that, right? Like, like what like what can the average person do? And again, Jamie, right, I understand you don't speak for the WGA or SAG all on your mm-hmm. own. But you know, do you like is there something like quote normal people could do if they want to like support, you know? Yeah, yeah there are definitely like I've heard people say the canceling and stuff, and if that's what's in people's heart, much to what you said, like how can you work for these people? I get, it's kind of like watching a movie or a TV show with Bill Cosby. I mean Maybe you just can't stomach it right now and you really want to cancel your Yes, I'm good with that. But on the flip side, I think a healthy movie industry, a healthy TV industry is going to be really important when we come back in some ways. And I don't want Oppenheimer to bomb. I don't want that's a weird pun. I don't want uh, Barbie to bomb. (laughs) No, the Oppenheimer will work better. I want to do great and I want to have a healthy environment so they know how valuable and they can pass and everything else. No, I'm not. If they bomb, they'll just replace. It's a weird thing, but I think people need to understand that that if the reason a boycott's not being called for is because movies need to remain valuable so that they (laughs) Don't just replace the the creators with AI. Yes. (laughs) Which is a weird world, but that's what they're afraid of. And if it doesn't matter, like what you want is you want (laughs) Hannah. We're journalists, right? I mean, actually, kind of. But you want Hannah. No, I mean, like even on the show, right? You want us to be able to do a show where we talk about why we like Barbie and we didn't like Flash as a point to, you know, like to show that it's not like I'm saying, oh, I just didn't like one and I I did like the other. You, You know, we're doing a show where we complain about one and we, you know, value the other to show that, well, I like the performances and therefore maybe hire more people who are good at performing. I like the writing, maybe hire more people who are good at writing, as opposed to one of the biggest problems with Flash outside of the Ezra of all of it. And you know, we've talked about this in the past. One of the problems with that movie is it's clearly a movie that went. I mean, I don't think I don't know that they used an actual AI like they but I mean, they might as well have or, you, you know, what's the Space Jam 2 right of it, like where it's like, there's okay. no plot to this. We're just kind of throwing some stuff together. Here's some IP you recognize. But so here's like, the thing. That was the other episode that. I was on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But also, even if someone makes a, quote, bad thing, they still deserve to get paid for their labor. I just want to make that point. I've heard yeah. That. yeah, absolutely. People throw that around. That's, and That's the one that bugs me the most. When I look at things, you just get a lot of uninformed people that are like, well, 
movie sucks, so they shouldn't get any more money or something like that. And it's like, oh, there's just so many weird things about that. Movies are making tons of money. Like, like you don't suck. Yeah. And, and like yeah. you don't suck at your job sometimes. Well, you know, <laughs> like, like all, all jobs so, suck. It's sort of. Yeah, it presupposes that like writers are making the big level decisions like we should make a flash movie and things like that. We're not choosing to make some original thing we wrote on our own or something like that. It presupposes a lot of strange stuff. That's kind of what I was going to say. The thing that everyone complains about with Hollywood these days is not what the writers want to do. It's what the people that we're striking against are telling them to do. Right. Right. Paramount recently stated officially that we're trying to get out of the original pictures business because like, you know, it's just not worth it financially. We want to do more IP based stuff because it's got to build an audience and it's just like, and that works out so well this summer for every IP involved. And I mean, yeah, back to your original question like what can ordinary people do to help i actually think like netflix and stuff like keeping your subscriptions probably helps some of those people that are going to lose their homes if this goes on for too long i'm not saying you should get a netflix account but to those to that point there are several funds Mm -hmm. they've said instead of boycotting or something there was piracy donate Mm -hmm. to these funds I, i don't personally know what they are right off the top of my head but they're easy enough to find but there's several we'll link yeah, some in the show notes. funds that you can give money to and it will go to the people that are about to lose their house or are in real trouble that are in the guilds but because of the strike are in huge financial straits or will become a huge financial straits and i think that's a great idea like if you really want to help and you have extra money and you want to help that way you really want to get involved I think that's a great way, you know, to do it. Yeah, absolutely. There's a SAG after has a foundation that they're asking people to donate to. If you, again, if you want to, and if you can, it goes towards members that are in urgent financial need mm-hmm. currently. That's great. Also, just like signal boosting, you know, if you support the cause, post about it, share, share when you see actors and writers posting about the strikes, posting about the issues, because so, so much of this is so misunderstood mm-hmm. outside of the industry. I meant to say this earlier, but when we were talking about like residuals, it's so hard for people to understand like why you should keep getting paid for something that you did five years ago because that company is still getting paid. They're still making money off of your work. So yeah, you should get that. And it's like, if you work a job, like you work for an insurance company and your team in the insurance company, your whole company has the biggest year they've ever had. And your team is the most successful team in the whole company. And your bonus is less than, or your commission is less than it was last year. The year before. Yeah. And they go, yeah, no, that's what we owe you. And you go, okay, cool. Can I see the numbers? And they say, no. Like, Who would be okay with that? That's exactly what's going on with the residuals is they Mm -hmm. go, yeah, here, take this. This is what we owe you. And we don't owe you any kind of proof at all. Mm -hmm. And I think most working people in this country can understand that a little more than just, oh, actors aren't getting their residuals. So, yeah, just... If you're interested in it, learn a little bit about it. SAG has a lot of pretty digestible information on their sites. Mm-hmm. And again, and we'll give you the links to the uh, to any foundations if people uh, want to donate. How much? I mean, it's such a big story. And I'm impressed that it has managed to keep the amount of attention it has, which is good. I mean, because what you don't want is you don't want people to get so sick of it that they're just not paying attention, which yeah. is, you know, it's good that people care. I think that you're going to see some weird decisions made this fall on television. Mm-hmm. 
you know, some of them are, I mean, that's, we didn't even talk about the fact that like how reality shows, which are written, but are not affected by this work. <laughs> like people don't think of reality shows as being written, but they are. And yet they're not affected because the WGA doesn't cover them. Another thing that doesn't get covered that I think people miss animation for the most part, not covered by the WGA deal, deal or the SAG deal. People who are voice actors and who write for cartoons are often in the WGA or SAG, but the deals are different. So like if you write for an animated show, you're still working, not in violation. You're working for the same people even. And it's a, it's just a different deal. And it just it's largely the same job, like writing it up, especially at least with acting. Voice acting is kind of a different skill set than, you know, in person acting. But like for writing an episode of television is an episode of television. Jamie doesn't care if the person is a live person or a cartoon person. I've written those, those kind of animated things. And it's so bizarre. It's the reason that is there's a historical reason. W, a Disney WGA thing, yeah. couldn't compete and there was already an animation union so they when they created their union they couldn't like be in conflict with this other union so it's just always been the way it is but it's the reason Pixar movies mm-hmm. can have like 50 writers and other you know WGA yeah. movies only have like three writers or something like that it's so bizarre so there's a lot to go into and you know we've done a lot of labor practice episodes we'll do more right Anna? oh i don't think this is an issue that's going away so we've resolved um, nothing is what i was getting at i think we've, yeah i think we've resolved that it's important to stand in solidarity with workers across the country and really understand their material working conditions i agree yes <laughs> i will say to that point real quick not to get all actors are important or anything like that but i think having this sort of increased spotlight because of the celebrities involved it's a double-edged sword because the celebrities get involved and people go oh boo-hoo a bunch of millionaires but it is bringing a focus on it and i like that as you said before fran drescher is bringing this up as labor issues which is mm-hmm. really at the core of what it is so I just, you know, the optimist, I mean, I have to be an optimist because I'm an actor and it's <laughs> such an uphill battle. But the optimist in me is like, I would love for this to just reach some people in shitty working conditions, you know, if all works out well for us and inspire some other kind of labor movements, if that's at all possible. The Teamsters did manage to avert a strike with, uh, with UPS. Yeah. It was real, yeah. and it was real close. And you know that strike was probably going to kill people. And but they I mean, were like, in the right. Yeah, and the Teamsters were in the right. I shouldn't. I want to make be clear yeah. here. Like what they like when I say kill people. I mean it was dangerous, and it was corporations playing with people's lives in order to save a couple of bucks. So. And that's what I mean. Like it, with the actors, like who was who? How many people knew about that even was a thing? You know, mm-hmm. and at least with getting some movie stars and stuff involved it's become a national story more so than you know if yes or the food workers of whatever go on strike like we did shows on academic unions we've done shows on IATSE. we've done show we're going to talk about labor issues again i assume and we're going to talk about labor issues again it's going to come up i i, I just have a feeling <laughs> that i think like one thing worth saying is like part of like the joy of labor especially like entertainment labor i think it are, are doing like something like we do academically is like creating things and putting ideas into the world and like interacting with other humans and like seeing the beauty humans create and like the innovation humans create mm-hmm. and it makes media meaningful like people like Ryan and G 
Jamie are like what make art meaningful. Like this is like a real thing worth fighting for to think about like humanity and how, you know, that plays a role in how we build our world. That's a different episode. But your point is there's a reason it's a multi-billion dollar industry. And I don't even think it's bad that it's a multi-billion dollar industry. I just think that the people who made it a multi-billion dollar industry should maybe get, you know, a couple of bucks every now and then. That's that would be nice, you know. Maybe you want to feed yourself for a day. Before we wrap up, Brian or Jamie, is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't get an opportunity to or any final thoughts? There's one weird Jamie. thing that I meant to bring up. Just I think it's interesting. Before the strike happened, a lot of smart writers uh, who kind of knew about this stuff claimed that the strike for writers would go on at least to July because it was some majeure mm. rule where the studios could cancel mm-hmm. any writing contract they wanted if we didn't work within, I don't know if it, how many days exactly it was, but some point in July. Yes. And you see that, like I heard George R.R. R. Martin say his deal was canceled week and stuff like that. People optimistically also said they would wait to July before they, and then they would start thinking about negotiating. So, and it would take mm-hmm. through July because it would take some time, even though that trigger point would happen where they could cancel their overall deals, which they would cancel some of them that they wanted to cancel. They, it would take a couple weeks or a few weeks to do that almost into August. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to see these people pretty smart, predicted a lot of things. I'm curious to see if they're right. And if they're right, August and September will be very active months for negotiations. One will hope or the leak is accurate and they're just going to try and wait till people start starving, which is cutthroat. But like, I hope it doesn't come to that. Yeah, we all do. Basically, it comes down studios. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, thank you both for doing this. We appreciate it. This is a, I mean, I don't want to say it's a lot of fun. I think it was a lot. Of, I had fun because I like talking to you guys. But yeah, it's, a, it's a it's a heavy topic that I think I hope was informative to people listening. Yeah, I just want to say I really appreciate you guys for having us on and again for shining a spotlight on this issue. Thank you. Well, thanks for doing it. Thanks for doing yeah, it. Thanks so much. Brian, anything you want to not promote but <laughs> talk about online? Where can people do stuff that has nothing to do with acting? Very if you just my my full name Ryan Scott Thomas. If you search that, you'll probably find my social medias. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Threads. Oh, Threads has been. <laughs> I love Threads. It threads is blowing is, up ever since yeah. X. <laughs> <laughs> it is so weird because everything about Threads is it's literally people going. So this is weird, right? We're uh, we're doing this. We've got some kind of social media world where, for reasons, Zuck is the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and it's a lot of like everything that i've posted to threads i think i have also posted to like you know the other sites Same. it's pointless and odd but uh but ryan's instagram is fun because it's a lot of pictures of him standing in line with other people picketing yeah, <laughs> people better looking than me picketing <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again jamie what about you anything you want to uh, promote i mean one of my side gigs is i teach screenwriting so i've I have two books. I have two books. Save the Cat Rates for TV and the Save the Cat Beat Sheet Workbook. They're both bestsellers. And I also co-host a podcast called Writer's Blockbusters. If you want to, in that Mm -hmm. Writer's Blockbusters, it breaks down movies for screenwriting tips. So if you're into screenwriting and you can yes. follow me on Twitter or X, I guess X is a God. Amy Nash and it's J A M I E. Yeah. I have both of Jamie's books on the shelf right behind me. Highly recommend them both. 
Oh. Very helpful. Thanks. Palindrome Hannah. Support the strike funds if you can. Support the National Network for Abortion funds if you can. I'm getting my affairs in order and leaving XR. Is it like, is it actually called X or is like, are okay. people joking when they call it shitter with an no, X? Like, is that um, like real? No, it's, I, okay. Yeah, just because it's weird because as we record this, you know, we podcast time travel, right? As we record this, it is depending on when people listen to it, but assuming they listen when it dropped, they are listening to something we recorded two weeks ago as this dropped. So possibly even longer if you've listened in the future. So at time of recording, after weeks of us joking that Twitter could go away at any moment, Twitter has maybe gone away. It has, it is still there. Twitter.com still goes to where it is and x.com which elon musk has owned for quite some time he bought it from paypal it's a different idea x.com also redirects to twitter twitter has mostly not changed other than interaction wise other than the logo has changed from a picture of a bird to a picture of the letter X. So like literally the experience has not changed from the trash fire that was the experience a week ago. <laughs> now, you know, I, whether I, that's I, true I, when you read, when you hear this, yeah. who knows? Like it could be, the world could be completely on fire as far as that goes. Yeah, because I originally thought that like they really changed the name to Shitter, but I think that's just an elaborate joke because I yes. can't tell what's real in the internet anymore. Right. Anyway. It comes to him. When, with him, yeah. it's, yeah. yeah no specifically way. X, I don't know. So yeah, don't follow me on anything because <laughs> I don't really even do social media anymore. This is where I am. Get on threads. All the cool people are doing it. You could talk to me and Ryan. <laughs> probably other <laughs> it is amazing in the last like week since the whole x thing happened i get so many because i signed up for threads like the first day because i was like what Me the too. hell is this sure yeah. i'm getting so many notifications now that are like you're now following so-and-so who's now on threads and it's yeah. just like 20 of them <laughs> yeah so it's literally just people and like threads is like i don't think anybody wants threads it's just it is a social media that exists purely out of spite it's all spite <laughs> it's all spite and i love it people are only there just to make elon mad it's very great so uh, anyway that said you can follow me on instagram or threads or i guess x or facebook you know all of the social networks everywhere i'm i'm usually at chris maverick you can follow the show mostly just on facebook right now and twitter or x or whatever like the problem with having threads and blue sky and mastodon and all these things that are trying to become the next Twitter is like, I don't know what's going to win. And like to go and manage a Vox Popcast media account on all these new sites for nobody to follow is not useful and it would be a lot of work. And so, so that doesn't exist in, in, anywhere yet, but maybe one day, maybe by the time this comes out, we'll know who won the social media war. <laughs> but anyway, follow us wherever. Subscribe to our blog. If you follow our blog, that's useful at www.voxpopcast.com you can leave us comments on this or any other episode that we've ever done and you can find out what we're talking about next week or in future weeks you can pitch us episodes tell us what you want us to talk about do you want us to talk about cannonball run i want us to talk about cannonball run leave us a comment say yes yes i absolutely want to hear a show about cannonball run because that would be awesome. And if you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Pandora, Spotify. I don't know. Stitcher used to be in the thing, but like Stitcher is, as this episode drops, I think going out of business next week or in two weeks. So, you know, subscribe to us on Stitcher while you still have time. And then 
you know, they get by to us because Stitcher will go away. Wow, the social media world changes too fast. <laughs> but if you enjoy the show, certainly do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank both Jamie and Ryan for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you, guys. Hello, and welcome back to Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Hannah. <laughs> you guess you can call me Hannah? Yeah, I was real close. I was real close. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, we're becoming a Marvel movie. <laughs>